Hello and welcome to the TT Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk to one person from the world of the TT races to discuss their lives, their journeys, their ambitions and their relationship with the greatest motorsporting event in the world. I'm Chris Pritchard and with me potentially for the last time, Steve Plater. Steve? Last time? I mean, with the guests we've got on, don't tell me you didn't watch that footage of the TT Plus and listen to Davo and think, my job's in jeopardy here. Fortunately for me, I did mention this when we were doing some filming for the new TT documentary. Fortunately, he's still hell-bent on trying to win TTs. Luckily for you, yeah. I'm off the hook. Davo Johnson, though, amazing on the commentary at this year's TT. Unfortunately, we didn't see him there, but what an amazing, fun guy he is. A real popular fella anyway, you know, um, goes about his racing quite differently, kind of very laid back, um, but still desperate to win some big races. So uh, a great guy, full of banter, and uh, he puts that through across in his riding as well. Oh, definitely. Now, before we get into this episode, I feel like I should just point out that we aren't in the usual studio. If you can hear some rainfall during this or some workmen outside, just let us off. We're, we're over on the Isle of Man. We're recording with the boys. So, um, yeah, just if you do hear any of that, that's the reason why. Today's guest has made some serious sacrifices to be in this chair today. He's more akin to laying down than sitting up straight. He is by far the most laid back man I have ever met. But then again, that comes with the territory of being an Aussie. Davo Johnson made his TT debut in 2010. And apart from 2011, he's been back to the island racing ever since. In 2019, he got every rider's dream call up a ride with the Honda factory team and he repaid them with his first ever podium in the Superstock race. Fast forward to 2022 and he'd signed for the OMG Rich Energy team alongside James Hillier but unfortunately Davo had to miss the TT after being injured in a round of the British Championship at Alton Park. Although the fans missed out on Davo's exciting racing style on the circuit they benefited from his commentary skills on the live coverage of the race. Luckily Steve Davo still has unfinished business on the island, so your job is safe for now. Yeah, and there's no chance of you getting any work, is there? <laughs> <laughs> Not after that intro. <laughs> Davo Johnson, welcome to the TT Podcast. How Thanks, are you? Yeah, good. Feeling good. Feeling uh, fitter than I was last time you saw me anyway. Yeah, yeah. That was, um, again, like I said in the intro, the racer's loss was everybody else's gain in the fact that was this a talent that you knew you had in the back pocket or did it just come naturally to you? The, the, the commentating gig, yeah, I, I did a little bit of that in Australia. Like um, the World Superbike, I did a little bit of it there. Uh, a little bit of the local Australian championship as well. But yeah, it was sort of good. Sort of get, <laughs> kept me out of the pubs, I suppose, during the <laughs> TT because yeah, when I was injured, obviously it was ideally I wanted to be riding, but here's what it was. And yeah, so it... Yeah, didn't get too many negative comments about it, so it was, uh, yeah, I'll definitely be something I'll be doing again. The only negative comments you got was from Steve. He, he <laughs> yeah. knew, it was like... Oh, Under pressure. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, before we get into all that in 2022, um, we always ask the, the riders the same question. Um, you'll have to think a little further back than everybody else. But rolling up onto that start line, like I said in the intro, one of the most laid-back guys I know. Rolling up to that start line getting that hand on the shoulder, waiting for that flag to drop, getting that tap on that shoulder. What is going through your mind? Well, probably everyone says the same thing about uh, shitting themselves a bit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I suppose that was, that's no different to me. And um, obviously we're at the Manx Grand Prix now. It was my first ride yesterday. 
um, as it was. And it was quite a nervous thing to be honest, more than normal. I mean, the more you do it, the sort of less the nerves sort of affect you. And yesterday, John McGinnis came up to me and he's like, how are you feeling? I'm like, shit myself. Because <laughs> like, I'm number one as well. Like After three years away, missed the main TT and then straight out and they asked me if I wanted number one and next thing, I was like, not really, but whatever. <laughs> Jump in the deep end. But um, yeah, it's, and I spoke to Paul Jordan as well. I did like a sweet little baby Jesus. <laughs> but, uh, like Ricky Bobby. <laughs> Ricky Bobby. <laughs> Um, yeah, and it was just, uh, we had a bit of a laugh about it. And once the helmet was on and we all yeah, started to take off, it was, yeah, situation sort of normal then. So then go back to the TT, the the, uh, the racing with the Honda factory team. How different is that? Or is it no different between that and what you experienced for the Manx? Um Well, then I was pretty prepared for it when right. I rode for Honda. It Yeah, so when... Um, coming to this one after three years away and the injury I don't know how that's going to sort of react mm-hmm. on the track and um, I was, obviously I feel good I've still got some sort of mu- uh, muscle and ligament damage in my pelvis area but on the bike it was okay but yeah at the um, riding for Honda I sort of knew exactly where I was at fitness wise um, and yeah I just felt a lot more prepared for it there than I did yesterday to be fair but the, but, but, but the nerves because there's a hell of a lot of pressure there you're riding for a factory team you're capable of getting on the podium. You th- do your thoughts not think go there? Do you, are you pretty chilled and relaxed? I didn't. Well, my, the thing is with Honda, the, my my teammate was Ian Hutchison, mm-hmm. so he was um, effectively like the number one rider. So I was, I always say I was the other guy. Like uh, yeah. who's who's Ian's teammate? Was oh, and some other guy. Some and other that was a bit of a joke that we had in in the team. So there was no expectation on me to be fair. Like mm-hmm. it was, yeah, it was pretty chilled approach that I had with, with the team they didn't expect anything from me so uh, and I felt that and yeah just being an underdog sort of you know it, it works um, works good for me doing that and a similar thing here we've been not being here for three years it's sort of a similar sort of feeling I'm getting being the underdog again even mm-hmm. though I won it last time the classic TT um, and I like that it's not no pressure and just go out and ride and have fun Mm-hmm. So let's go back, way back, way back to the start of actually getting on a bike for the first time. There's not a great deal of information to find out about you. Obviously, you, you lived in Australia. That's probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah, boring, boring <laughs> story. He's, he's either boring or he's had to, he's, he's had to delete it all. Yeah, he's worked tirelessly to delete all, <laughs> any knowledge. <clears throat> so when did you first get on a bike? Um... You'd like this. I actually spent a full half of my life racing BMX, push really? bikes. Yeah, and so nice. from when I was four years old, um, yeah, my dad chucked me on a, on a BMX bike and, and uh, raced up until I was 16, 17 and um, raced two world championships doing that. And when I was 16, he, he gave me my first ride on a little 125 four-stroke uh, little weapon. And from then on, it was like the push bike got put to one side and I just put all my efforts into into motorbikes then. But at that point, I didn't even know how to even change gears. Like I was from BMX to oh yeah to motorbikes. I had I did have a couple of rides on like a Peewee 50 back in the day, like which is like centrifugal clutch, clutch no gears. Um, yeah, so it was a lot to take in. But uh, it's similar sort of like I mean, Christian Mullen was in the same boat. He did dirt track, but he also is is a good friend of mine from back in the day. Um, he raced BMX a lot as well, mm-hmm. and we used to, when he was in in England, we used to ride together BMX, go to local jumps and stuff. So, and it's sort of 
you know, the 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 skill set that you get from even that, like just yeah. the bike control. I think that sort of transferred a bit to, to, to the motorbikes. All I had to learn how to do is change gears and yeah, go through corners really, really fast. Yeah, yeah, to, I was going, I remember going through faster. some corners like that are now they're just flat out any day of the week in Australia on mm -hmm. like a thousand superbike, and I was on a little four straight one two five like rolling off, just going. Oh, <laughs> so it was straight into but, road racing as well. It wasn't motocross. No motocross now. Oh wow. I look at a motocross bike and my collarbone snaps. Like it's just like <laughs> I, I have had a go on a few of my mates' motocross bikes, but it didn't end well. <laughs> that's well that's, for sure. Yeah, I would have expected BMX. The, the natural kind of progression is to put a BMX with an engine on, which essentially is a motocross bike. I wasn't too bad, but I've got a lot of mates that are really good. So yeah, I just sort of let them do it, and because yeah, I'd, I'd go on straight away on a supercross track and try and do what they do, and. Yeah, crash. Yeah, but, um, it, it concerns me more. Obviously, you started out BMX under the age of sixteen, coming through, and we all know how you Aussies like a drink. That's not what you learn your drinking skills, is it? At that age. Well, to be honest, like that's a funny yes. Well, you got no. It isn't actually. It's completely the opposite. I got really drunk for the first time when I was fifteen, and end up passing out on the freaking toilet floor. My mum looking over me, going, "You fucking idiot." <laughs> And then I had the biggest hangover for like three days and I was like, I'm never drinking again. And I actually, when I said it, I meant it. Like really? it was one of those. Because um, I had a lot going on with the BMX, we were traveling all yeah. over the world doing that. And then I started motorbikes and it was, so from 16 to 18, and then I got my first contract to race in the UK, uh, 18, just turned 19. And then Sort of, I was really focused when I come over here to, to sort of try and make a name for myself early on. And then I found out that um, I liked Jack Daniels and Coke when I was about 20 years old. And that was where it sort of changed. So it lasted <laughs> for five years then they sold not drinking. Yeah, it did, yeah. But it was all in moderation, but still, I didn't really drink much, to be fair. But So not from a, a racing background in terms of like your family the day did your dad used to race then or my dad did yeah he right. did um australian superbike championships mm -hmm. like in the late 70s early to, to late 70s and uh, when he we had him me and my sister my sister was a top bmx rider as well she yeah. uh, got poached by some cycling people she was that that good at that like she put a she was so good at sprinting like and i was always she actually used to beat me as, as a kid like and it so we were, they, we we're both doing that together and um, yeah, so once my dad, had, well, my parents had me and my sister, then they he was sort of focused on family, and uh, which would have been yeah, a hard decision him. for him. But yeah. yeah, and when he gave me a go on a bike for the first time, he like he was like, ah, oh, shit, what have I done here? Like, I, he didn't. It, it definitely wasn't his plan. Do you think you would but, have got into it regardless of whether he gave you the bike or not, though? Not sure, really. Like, because I was so into BMX, yeah. and it was it was going really good at the time. So it was, um, yeah, it's, it's a hard thing to say, but it, I, yeah, I, I didn't, when I used to go to the track with him racing, because he did drag racing as well, like mm -hmm. Nitro Harleys, like, yeah, his proper, <laughs> proper uh, fast bikes then. And I used to, like, hate going to the track. He used to, like, ask where my push bike is, like, get that out of the back of the, the trailer and go and ride that, and away I went. And every now and again, watch Dad ride. But, um, yeah, it wasn't until I actually had a ride where I was really started to, Get into mm -hmm. it. Yeah, there's so many Aussie, obviously names, motorcycling. You know, mm. when, when you first kicked off uh, racing and started getting keen with it, shall we say? Who did you aspire to? Who did you look up to? Who was your, who was your Aussie era? Mick Dawn. All ah, right. Okay. Yeah, because he was um, at the top of his game at that time. 
and um, yeah, just his old way of, about it. And dad actually grew up racing with Jerry Burgess. All right. So, um, and they're really good mates, uh, um, Burgess family, good mates yeah. of ours. So Jerry Burgess is um, obviously the crew chief for Mick Doohan and, and, and various other people. Mm, yeah, Rossi, uh, Rossi was yeah, the last yeah. one he was with, so he's done a fair bit of good stuff with the racing, so. But he, I mean, he, I've always used to like talking to Jerry, but he never helped, he, I didn't get to that level where he could have helped us really. Like by the time I got to the British Championship and it was all going well, like he, he might've been able to send an email to someone, but it wouldn't have really done much because uh, it's all about sort of initially, it's, you know, it's like with, yeah. it's all about how much sponsorship you got behind you, which I had yeah. fuck all. So it was, <laughs> <laughs> so nothing would have hurt really. But I mean, it may, it may have helped an email here and there, but uh, my path was sort of, yeah, it was, it was not going too bad with what we had. So you, you, you've progressed pretty quickly then. If you've got a bike at 16, you first go on 16 and you get a contract to come to the UK in, did you say you were 18? Yeah, just then, just, or I turned 19. Super teens then or? No, I went straight to the um, junior Superstock 600. Right. Yeah, so I was racing with um, Crutchlow and Sykesy and yeah. Jonesy. Yeah, it was uh, in 2002, that was. So yeah. you were, you would have been on a HM plant then? Uh, Virgin Yamaha. Virgin Yamaha, yeah. yeah. So it was, yeah. Did yeah. you have to uproot the whole family like we see when the likes of Casey Stoner? Uproot the family, brought them over? No, was it, was, the same thing, or it was just me. I just, just took off. Yeah, I took off. I was like, I'm out. See you later. Yeah, my mum was a bit upset. But um, I didn't How expect- difficult is that? You know, just to clear off the side of the world and flipping and knuckle down. How, how, how tough is it? it at that time, you, when you're young, I was just sort of um, didn't really. I wasn't. I just wanted to go. Like, because I got the opportunity. It was with um, Roger Ditchfield, Revolution UK. Um, and he just said, come over and we'll see how it goes. And um, no, I didn't sort of have, have, a, have a plan. It was just sort of, yeah, every year it was going to. Be brave, as it was, it? but yeah, I mean, as a youngster, you—I don't think you think about it at all. Like I didn't. It was, um, yeah, I was just uh, so excited to go. That Roger Ditchfield had a son called Mark Ditchfield. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mark was bought my first bike off Mark Ditchfield. My oh, first really? Race bike. Yeah. Yeah, they're Steve good guys. They're good, yeah, good, good people, people. Them. Rochdale. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Small world, eh? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's a good bloke. Old Roger's still hanging around, and he's—I'll uh, keep in touch with him. Yeah, fair, lovely, yeah, fair bit. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, he, at the end of the day, he sent the contract through, like my first ever contract, and I did have to put all my life savings into it. Like it was, it was. Um, I, I did an apprenticeship. I actually got signed off just as I got my contract. So I left school early to do a fitter and turner apprenticeship, uh, machining and welding, and mm-hmm. and um, working with race cars actually, a race car company. And uh, after two years, it's supposed to be like a three and a half year con. Um, Apprenticeship. Two years, I got the contract to to race, and then my boss was like, "Yeah, right, you're you're good." Oh, he and then you sent me off. Yeah, <laughs> so fully qualified at um, eighteen, and away I went. So to you took your life savings. How, what, how, what's your life savings when you're eighteen? Like well, that, two I'd, grand, three grand. I, two well, pounds for me. I had ten thousand dollars <laughs> in the bank. Wow. And at that time, that was a tire bill for the for the team. So yeah, yeah. wow, it was a lot of money for me. That's for sure. So was the idea. I'm going to go there and see how it goes, or I've, I've got to make it. I've got to get to World Superbikes, MotoGP. Because at this point, I can guess that the TT's not even on your radar, right? Not at all at yeah. that point. No, it was it was all about yeah being a world championship champion. Because I got close to it doing BMX, so it was mm-hmm. like um, something that I believed that I could do, like if I put my mind to it. And yeah, not knowing anything about I mean Glenn Richards helped me a lot in steering me in the right direction um, Tommy Larson as well which yep. you'd probably know um, 
So I had nothing, I didn't have any idea about what was about to sort of come and how, how hard it was going to be. Um, but yeah, that, I definitely, that was all I wanted to be world champion. I, mm-hmm. I, I've got it on like the back of my BMX plate, be the best, like you'll be nice. world champion and had that same sort of mentality when I come to motorbike racing. And it, it started off well, I mean, we were straight away, I got fourth in my first race at Silverstone and podiums after that and Dyson with like Coachlow and Sykes in and Jonesy sort of smashed us all that year. Like, but um, yeah, so it put me in the sort of, in the eyes of the right people, yeah, and then yeah. It just sort yeah, you were of, in the right company. Yeah, I never, I never, those boys. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a good year, and and Roger put a good bike out. Yeah, so it was, um, we were always competitive with the bike. Um, yeah, but so from that year, it was sort of, I realised that then you need the sort of the backing behind you, and it was, I was always um, sort of just scratching to get a, a deal after that. I mean, I never had to pay after that, which is a good thing, mm. but it was. Um, if I had the money behind me, I feel that there could have been a different path, but everything's led to where we are now and it's not gone too bad. So, so far, it is so what far it is. so good. So, yeah, yeah. so is, is that the moment? We spoke to Connor on the last episode and he kind of realized where his talent truly was and how much he could afford to put into his racing. He realized that road racing was the only real way to go. Was that the same for you then? Did you get to that point where you were like, I could have a future in that? I, Unless I've got a ton of money behind me, I'm not going to have a future in this. Similar, really. Like, I used to race with Connor a bit in Superstock um, in the early days. Excuse <coughs> me. And um, I raced, I got a, a really good deal in 2006 and 2007 in the European. I, uh, I was mainly the Dutch Championship and a bit of IDM mm-hmm. German Championship with RT Motorsports out there, Yamaha. And um, was winning races and podium all the time and it was yeah I was really happy with where I was at there but um, I felt that I would need to move forward because that championships at that point was not the be all and end all and then I wanted to be in the Brit. I'd already done the super stock in Britain and then got that deal and then I wanted to come back to England in a good super bike team mm-hmm. and I got a deal with um, PR racing in the early days of PR and they're, they're a really really good team but they've um, always budget sort of strapped yeah and um, at best with them, we got in the top, well in the top 10. Uh, but it's, uh, in those days, especially with the tire um, war as it was, and also le- electronics, it was... Um, so did we have, was it, Dun- sorry, was it Dunlop and Michelin in yeah. the tire war? Oh, yeah, Pirelli was there as well. Dunlop and Pirelli, yeah. Right, yeah. But, they were the three, yeah. There, there was only really Michelin, uh, Hans was the only one using his Michelin. Yeah. So the rest of the paddock was, on, was against Dunlop and Pirelli. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, yeah, so they did the best of what, what they had and, and it was, I always wanted to sort of go to the next level, but um, yeah, like with no money behind me, it was, I was just happy to, to get uh, like free rides and making a little bit of money out of it as well. And then I got the sort of, um, got asked to do the TT when Paul, by Paul Phillips and, and in 2010 was the first year and I already done a couple of years with, uh, 2009 was the first year with the Pirelli one make tire, was it? Or oh, year before remember. possibly, yeah. But um, yeah, not doing too bad in the in the in the British Superbike, and um, then I thought that I'd do the TT to sort of because I was always good at learning circuits. That's what I'd I used to love going to tracks and and being fast straight away. And yeah. and I thought, well, this is the ultimate sort of challenge for that. Um, and Paul Phillips had given me the opportunity. When was uh, your first experience of TT racing? 
was it was wasn't it on the long TV to, or was it you know uh, did you visit the island the Isle of Man where, where did that come from yeah 2007 I come over that was centennial year wasn't it yes yeah um, did you win that year no it was my first year first year yeah, yeah. I know Cameron Donald got second in the senior and he's a good mate of mine from Australia mm-hmm. and um, he he uh, I'll come to see him in Park Fairway after. Obviously, I was hung over because it was at the TT. <laughs> I was coming there. It was not warm day as well that that day. I remember. I was sweating my rain. Hey, the whole two weeks was sunshine. It was good, wasn't it? Yeah. I was only there for a couple of days. And then uh, Cam, I was sent to Cam. I was like, well done, man. He's like, you coming back, coming over next year to do it? And I'm like, fuck off. No way. <laughs> Crazy. So um, I came and watched it and said, no way. Sort of like, everyone's crazy. And then um, 2010... Um, came along and I thought I'm going to give it a go and um, so your first time first watching year. you know watching camp uh, 07 what um, did you go out watching around the course just from the paddock or what, what, what were you yeah well, um, not out any further than Bray Hill yeah so I watched on the left on the right side of Bray Hill on the way down the hill what was your first impressions I was, first it was mad. I was just yeah it was crazy like from what I saw <laughs> and I remember Cam passing someone um, it must have been a back marker in the, in the race. I think he must have caught him. And uh, Cam was online, and it's uh, and this dude was like wide. And Cam saw the guy going to the left before he commit to the bottom of the hill, and he'd pass him on the on the right because he thought he was coming over quicker. And so he was like right over to the right down the hill, and I was like, "Fuck you, that's just mad." And then he just like he had to roll off properly down at the bottom of the hill to get it yeah, yeah. through the dip. Yeah, so that was probably my first time I saw at Bray Hill. I did see it at the top of St. Indians before that, walked there, then walked back, and then went on the other side of Bray Hill. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Bray Hill's probably not the best place to watch if you're thinking about think doing it, because yeah. for me it's the most scariest part of the track, really. But um, yeah, so that was my first experience of it. And uh, yeah, like I say, it was um, just well and truly off my radar straight away, pretty much. But So does Paul phone you out of the blue how like how does that conversation come about for for someone who's not shown any interest in it to then like get a call and then say yes I will come and do it they used to you'd remember this they used to come to the after parties at um, the end of season party at, Br- at Brands Hatch it was or sometimes at Donning or wherever the end, last round of BSB is yeah. and straight away as soon as we're in, out of our leathers we're just drinking like mad <laughs> most people fighting I had a few good blues of those like, there's always like after every, at this BSB like you have feuds through the year obviously I never used to go they have feuds through the year and then like they sort of uh, all get settled at the after party <laughs> And, yeah, it's funny, but anyway, that's off the off the tangent a bit. But um, yeah, so Paul and Milky used to come to those parties, right. so we're all pissed up together. So you all say and, yes, and that's when yeah, basically yeah. that's some that's a good. <laughs> I've done a lot of my my next year's deals at those yeah. parties, yeah, and yeah. you probably have as well. Yeah. And um, they know they can get you cheap because you're drunk. You're just like, yeah, I'll ride for anything. Yeah, well, right. I start at the top. I go like straight away. I, talk, I remember one year I talked to Sean Muir before I'd even <laughs> bloody won a superstock race. I was like. <laughs> Started at the top and then went my way. <laughs> but um, and I ended up riding for him, funny enough. But so the, the, the TT sort of uh, route sort of yeah. worked with what I wanted to do. But yeah, so that was, they used to come there and sort of talk to the riders, give us um, a pack with um, onboard laps uh, mm-hmm. DVD. And that the first year I was 2009 and then second year, uh, no, 2008. And then I thought about it and then 2009, after that, after party, he's like, what do you reckon? I'm like, I reckon I might have, give it a crack. And then I've start, started the journey of that. And then, yeah, come over for the newcomers party 
or no, no covers trip. I get them mixed up. <laughs> it's not a party. <laughs> no, uh, it tell him it's a party, he'll come. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> I think that's how they freaking got here. That's how they sold it to him. Yeah. It's a party. That was, that was so much fun as well. Like those newcomer trips that they used to bring us over, they're wicked Wait, fun. Wait, so what? I've never, I've never heard of one of these newcomers trips. Tell the, me about them. It's they must have been more tame now, obviously. Of course, yeah, yeah, of course yeah, it has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were a lot better back then. then. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I definitely, if I was me now, I probably wouldn't do it because there's no party involved. <laughs> So oh, that sounds like a rap party. I'm not really. <laughs> what did it feel like actually coming over and going from that mindset of circuit racing to now you've got to learn 37 and three quarter miles of, of circuit and you've got to respect it? Yeah, that was, um, I was very excited about it. Oh, there's a story about when I freaking, uh, um, we come over for that. T- is We're going back the, to the parties the, now. It was, Sorry. Let's well, go when I come over party. for the, it wasn't the, the, the TT uh, newcomers party trip thing yeah <laughs> the unofficial we part. come over and um rudder was in a car with me and we were coming from the airport past the ferries and then uh through the roads there i was like so what gear are you in through this corner and he just looked at me and goes you fucking serious <laughs> well, i actually thought i was on the track like no so that was at the start of the of the year because <laughs> i've never been here before so i didn't know what, what was where was where yeah and <laughs> once that happened, then Milky took me around yeah. for like um, a lap and he's like, right, so tell me where you are just to show me, just uh, like sort of quiz me on my, mm-hmm. um, like how I've been researching. And I failed dismally. That yeah. Big time. <laughs> and after that, it was literally every day. So I had three months from then to T2, it was three months, like every day, like the old school PlayStation game and then uh, watching DVD laps every day for three months before that. And you got it. And I felt good by the time I got here. So it was, um, yeah, with a great team as well. It was the DP coal planning team, mm-hmm. uh, Mick Charnick, local team. And uh, they helped me with the process as well. So you rock up onto the line completely sober. You decided not to drink. <laughs> um, what's it feel like the first time on that newcomer's lap? Well, that was one that also you wouldn't get away with these days because it was like wet. <laughs> Yeah, and we it had was wet um, and you were pissed. No, I wasn't pissed. He was making me out like a pisshead. I'm not <laughs> no, really. I'll I, I knuckle down when I have to, you know. But um, yeah, it was with Milky, and we had Brian McCormack and um, Hudson Kenner in our group. And it was, yeah, it was damp to start with and then got wetter as we went. And then by the mountain, we couldn't see anything. Like it was yeah. foggy. Are you on wet? Are you on wet? Dries. And I was following Milky, and Milky's like was sweeping around. So I just like, fuck, I'll follow in then. And um, by the time we got to, uh, it's probably not a good thing to say this story, cause, but it's not the same now. It's a lot different now. But <laughs> by the time we got to Kurt and Michael, I looked behind, there was no one there. It was just me and Milky. And yeah, we just finished the lap together. I think Hudson kind of pulled off, um, didn't like the conditions. Um, yeah, and I don't know what happened to Brian. <laughs> but uh yeah, and then we got to the mountain and through one of the corners, I was just, all I could see is his tail light. Yeah. So I was just following him through that. And that was my induction lap. And then you were free and to then, go on your way and, yeah, and become like, a yeah. TT racer. Yeah. So, how, how, so. How, how different was that next lap? The fact that you had no reference point to, to follow. I loved it. Did it all I, come flooding back, everything you'd learned? Yeah, definitely, yeah. It's... I, I was like screaming in my helmet. It was so much fun. Like I was like I was yesterday. I was like yipping in my helmet. Yeah, because it's so much fun, and um, it's it's like nothing else. Like every circuit, like well, you'd be the same now. Like every circuit sort of is 
not, I wouldn't say boring, but if someone said I got like a three days to ride at Phillip Island, I'll say, I'll, I'll do one, like fucking <laughs> not, not three track days, but, and this place is just like, it just tops them all. Like yeah. it just ticks every box and makes me feel so good about riding more so than what the short circuits so, do these so there days. So no, there was no moments during that first year where you were kind of thinking, maybe I'll go back to short circuit. This, Not at this all. This is where I want to be now. Yeah, it, it, that was uh, my, um, yeah, that was it really. But there's a bit that happened between then and uh, and the next year, or the next two years really, because I missed 2011. But um, I tell you what, we'll get into that in part two. So I think now is the perfect time to break. So make sure you come back for part two because we've got some... Are they, are they stories you can tell? Yeah, oh, it's, uh, it's not too bad of a story. <laughs> right, join us in part two with Dave O'Johnson.